Welcome to Love Love Tennis, where tennis talk starts. I'm Ruth Dobson Torres, host of the Love Love Tennis podcast. The goal of this episode and all future episodes is to promote the sport of tennis by sharing diverse and interesting opinions and voices about all things happening in the tennis world today. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm very excited today. We have a new Love Love Tennis podcast guest. And before I introduce her, I want to tell you a little bit about her. She's a former top 50 world ranked tennis professional. She's a Clemson University Hall of Fame athlete. She is the founder of the Jane Foreman Tennis Academy based out of Miami, Florida, and has devoted the past 20 years to developing community tennis and sports programs for children and adults of all ages and levels of ability. First, welcome Jane Foreman. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're so excited that you're our Love Love Tennis podcast guest today. And to start us off, well, wow, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, Your career, tennis and otherwise, has been amazing. And I think it may just be best to start from the very beginning. Um, I understand that you played USTA junior tournaments throughout New England from age 10 to 18. Where exactly did you grow up and who initially introduced you at the age of 10 to the game of tennis? Well, I actually started even a little bit earlier than that. Um, I was introduced to tennis when I was about six years old um, in Rhode Island. I'm from Providence, Rhode Island. And um, my mom was, and I have two older sisters, uh, took us to take tennis lessons. And at that time, in um, in the late 60s, early 70s era, uh, indoor tennis facilities were booming in, in, you know, colder areas like New England. So we just started taking tennis lessons and I just took to it. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, funny, I actually recall the tennis of the late 70s and early 80s because my mother, who is now 89 years young, she played the game then. And I, I actually referenced that time on my Love Love Tennis website because I think that my love for the game actually started back then. And when did you realize uh, that you truly love, love the game of tennis? And uh, was it like love at first sight or was it you know, a situation where you were having to practice and play more and more to discover that you really love the game. No, I mean, I just, I just loved playing tennis. I mean, it, as the second I got introduced to it through, through tennis lessons, I, I was bitten by it. Um, I was athletic, so I just took to it. And once I started, I just never stopped. So it was, a, it was love at first sight. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I know at age 18, you won the Women's New England Championships, and you held the number one ranking in New England. And in 1980, I know you started at Clemson University on a full athletic scholarship. So you definitely experienced success at a young age and at a time before social media existed, when state and national and local rankings information was less shareable and and known to the masses. So I want to ask you, um, can you describe what it felt like to hold a number one ranking uh, at that time? And 
What do you think about the potential pressure that young junior players today may feel with regards to rankings since everything is so much more public and, you know, out there on social media? Yeah, I mean, a lot a lot is different and a, and a lot is the same, you know, because uh, coming through the whole gambit of, of junior tennis and actually from, from junior USTA tennis – to uh, playing national tournaments starting at the age of, of 12, you know, playing state local tournaments uh, for, for my high school, which a lot of kids don't do these days. But I kind of went from A to Z and, and, and didn't miss a beat. And I thought that was, you know, really important at the time. And it probably was for that time. Mm-hmm. That's maybe what's a little bit different from back then to now. Um, the, the, pressures are all the same um you know you deal with uh parental situations you deal with the pressures of wanting to to be number one and wanting to be the best you can be those feelings don't change no matter what era you're playing in no matter if there's social media now or not um you know like the 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 pressures of playing and getting the information out obviously has changed you know the newspaper was the big way to 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 <laughs> see all your successes back then and when you would see your name in print that was a big deal and people would call in the results and you know and and there was articles but the newspaper was was the big deal now everything is instantaneous and and you win a tournament boom it's posted the you know the second you get off the court with pictures and and things like that which is which is awesome and it's a way to to promote your brand as a, as a player and, and as a business. So, you know, that's great. Um, so I don't think the pressure has changed. I think that just the way we deal with it or the way we get information out has changed. Yes. Uh, yes. I would agree. Uh, yeah. The instantaneous uh, delivery of information has just changed everything. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of, you know, pressure, uh, you know, on that point, it seems that, attention to the mental game of tennis uh, has been growing over the past several years. And um, I think recent proof of that trend uh, was the fact that 19-year-old 2020 Roland Garros women's tennis champion Iga Swiatek revealed that she has been employing a sports psychologist for the past several years to help her improve her mental game. And she, you know, was quoted and credited her sports psychologist with all of her success this year at Roland Garros. So um, I know that you have, you held and um, still hold, you know, some amazing no loss stats in the game of tennis. Like the fact that when you were in high school, four years of high school tennis play, you never lost a match or even a set. And um, you never lost a match in the state of Rhode Island. Um, So obviously, you know, your physical tennis uh, techniques must have been and still are, I'm sure, stellar. But I'm guessing that your focus and concentration levels were tremendous as well. So I want to ask you a little, a couple of questions about the mental side of the game. Can you share how important you thought the mental game was back then and how important you may think it is now for tennis success? Well, um, first of all, I mean, it's a, it's a great question, but I've always thought, and I'm sure uh, anybody playing at a high level in, in any professional sport um, or aspiring to play in a professional sport will agree that the mental aspect of the game is as equal 
to the importance of to the physical game or if not more and i've always believed that even back in the day back in the older days when i was playing um (laughs) the the idea of a sports psychologist is not new and it wasn't new back then as well it just may be more more known for instance i was playing um college tennis from 1980 to 1984 and we were working with sports psychologists back in college um and when i when i turned professional and and i hired a a sports psychologist to work with to help me with with uh when i would lose and how to deal with it and things to work on the court and tools and how to breathe and things like that so Sports psychologists aren't new to to professional sports, and I would imagine, and I can't speak for other other sports, but I guarantee you they're on staff with with the professional teams in probably every single sport. So it's not really new to it, and the to the level of importance, it is highly important <laughs> because because at at a certain time everybody's good. You know, and, right. and as you're getting as you're as you're getting higher in the ranks, whether it's juniors or professional or college, everybody hits the ball phenomenally, and everybody's a good player. How you deal with points, how you deal with certain situations on the court, how you deal with whether you think somebody or whether you've gotten bad calls, which way, one way or another, those are all. Um, those all attribute to to strong mentalities of whether you can pull out a match or not. So, in every level, at every level, at every age, I think it's important to start working on the mentality of the game, even as a junior. Okay, yeah. Funny, funnily enough, um, just last evening, I'm I'm currently USTA three point five level, and was playing in a doubles match last evening. We lost the first set. One six, we won the second set six two, and then we were in the tiebreaker, and we were actually at they had us at match point, and I had to serve, calling out you know eight serving nine, and I just told myself like a little mantra where I, I said believe. I just started thinking the word believe, and I thought why not you know why not us? And the the other two women they were really good, and um. We actually won those next three points, so we won the match. So I feel like I did employ a little bit of a mental, uh, you know, technique last night, um, even. One, so 100, 100%, and that's awesome. I mean, I deal with, you know, on a weekly basis, close to 100 women managing them and, and working with them on the court and off the court. I manage their teams, their team play, and these are all women um, uh, rated 2-5 to 4-5. And they're... Their level of, of of mentality on the court is it doesn't is not diminished just because they're not professional tennis players. And the way you play your three point five match, mm-hmm. the mentality is the way some pro, some pros play their their matches. You know, with their mentality. Obviously, it's all relative to levels, but it's equally important. So you know, it's kind of fun when I'm working with a recreational level who are competitive and you sound like you're competitive (laughs) because you're playing in matches and the mentality of, of how to, how to teach these women and how to teach them winning methods is, is really a lot of fun and, and exciting to see them improve (laughs) because of it. Yes, I, I agree. And I think too, I agree with what you said about maybe the fact that the mental game's always been something that's been there and focused on but maybe more people 
are aware of it now, just because again, back to social media and and and, and mass, you know, digital and and the distribution distribution of information. I think um, maybe more beginners and at the recreational level have an awareness of it that maybe we didn't have before. Um, So, yeah. yeah. So it's definitely something I'm going to try to work on. And I wanted to, um, yeah, getting getting back and ask you another question. Uh, I know you attended Clemson. I actually uh, was a Tar Heel. So I graduated from University of North Carolina. So uh, at Chapel Hill. So, but love, love Clemson, you know, support the ACC. Um, I know you made, when you were there, the NCAA All-American team for four consecutive years. So you had an outstanding record there. Um, but I know that you, you made a decision to start your tennis career. Um, and, you know, before really becoming officially a professional, you wanted to work towards obtaining your college degree. So can you tell us whether you're still satisfied with that decision that you made and to obtain your degree before turning professional officially? And do you think having a college university level education is more or less important for young players today? Um, it's a little bit different, but but I think everything is situational. And in my case, you know, I, I grew up and played tennis and achieved success as a junior and a lot of success in an, in an area where it was, we were not in Florida and we were not in California. And, you know, I may have been, you know, a, you know, a, a star in my area, you know, per se, but who knows if, if I would have had that same type of success, maybe in an area that had, you know, thousands of more tennis players and, and, and better climate. But when I, when I went to, when I went to school, there was just no doubt that I was not going to go to college. And when I look back on it, I wouldn't have done anything differently because I had the opportunity to play professionally as an amateur and the all in fact, I started actually my senior year in high school because I went to a school that allowed us to have senior projects, and I started obtaining um, professional points as a senior in high school through a project where I would travel and play pre-qualifies and qualifies to Virginia Slims and yeah. and and start working on towards becoming a professional tennis player. I still knew I was going to college, and I and so. It just, I just had to work a little bit harder and, and maybe not get as many, you know, things that you would do as a college student, like spring breaks and things like that. I was off, I was off playing tournaments and and working on my ranking all through my amateur career playing college. So for four years, I, I played for Clemson and and loved every bit of it and loved playing for a team because I knew that was going to be my last hurrah being on a team and and I I loved the fact that I was you know working towards a goal and playing for a great university um but I was obtaining um working on I'm getting my my professional ranking so that in in 84 I knew I was going to get out that I would just start and I I put goals to myself so Christmas time and spring break time and, and any time and all through the summer I had, you know, I had 12, 13, 14 weeks of summer where I was just gone playing all through those four years. And so I was playing probably about, I would say 30 to 40% of probably what maybe a full professional player would play, but I played an awful lot of tournaments as an amateur. Okay. Now 
the decision the decision to to stay or to go if i was you know i was playing at the time where tracy austin and pam shriver and andrea yeager and 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 all those players were young and playing now those girls were ranked top 10 in the world so for them to play college tennis would not is was not a necessity so if i was getting the success that those girls were getting and college tennis wouldn't have been in my cards but I know I was doing well enough to get a decent ranking and and prepare myself so I wasn't a top 10 player in the world and you know I was I was right. a professional player but not ready to leave college right and um did you would you mind sharing what your degree you know that you uh, attained is or? I studied socio- sociology and psychology Great. Oh, psychology. Which is helping me a lot teaching all the women now. I bet. I know. I was wondering that, you know, because also with your, with your academy and all of, you know, the Jane Foreman sports and all of that too, there's the business aspect. So I was wondering if by chance you had been a business major, but uh, hearing sociology, psychology, I, I, I can understand how that degree is helping you. You know, in, in hindsight, I, I think in hindsight, I had, you know, when I was in college, I knew that I was going to be playing professional tennis. So I, I wasn't really focused on really thinking what, what am I going to be doing at the age of 30 or, you know, 28, (laughs) I didn't, I didn't have that foresight. So maybe in hindsight, I would have done maybe more things like marketing or some business courses. But I think that, you know, learning, learning on the job was, was probably better than any education I could have gotten. Right. And so it sounds like to me, you're saying you think it's, it's situational in terms of that choice for younger players today too. Oh, yeah. With, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of um, Tracy Austin and Pam Shriver and Andrea Yeager and some of the, the tennis, uh, female tennis greats that you had the pleasure of uh, playing at that same time with, uh, I have heard that your most memorable match uh, at that time was playing Martina Navratilova. So I want to ask you, where and when did you play Martina? And what do you remember most about that match? Yeah, I mean, it's just like a couple of funny stories about it. But I, I played her at, at, at Wimbledon. And, um, you know, it, it, one of the funny stories about that is um, that year that I played her was in 1986. And I, and I qualified, you know, to, to play her because I, I wasn't ranked at that time high enough to get into the main draw. So I went through a whole qualifying tournament in, in England uh, right before, you know, actually having to play a couple rounds before her. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, so I played basically like a whole tournament before she even got to the tournament. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, and then I won, uh, I had a really good win in the first round of the main draw. I beat a girl that was ranked top 30 um, from Germany. And so then it was a big deal. And, and I was traveling at the time with a coach and I had, and, and some friends and we were, um, we were in the hotel room and we were just watching, you know, everything back then was BBC one, BBC two. And, and tennis was just on 24 seven in, in England. And so Martina showed up. And, um, so I had to play next match where she had to play the, the winner of my match and and another girl and I just remember them interviewing her and they asked her and we were watching the interview on TV a bunch of us and she they just asked her hey who would 
who would you uh, rather play? And they mentioned the other girl, and they said, or Jane Foreman. And she goes, oh, I, I'd much rather play. And she mentioned the other girl. And I was like, oh, I said, look at that. She, you know, look at that. Everybody's like, wow. And she says, because I've never even heard of Jane Foreman. Oh, oh, no. oh my goodness. So I, like, so I got a lot of uh, a lot of slack for that. So it was it was pretty funny. But anyway, so I ended up uh, ended up uh, winning, and and she had to play me. But it was um, it was very exciting. It was it was like a my first time playing on on worldwide tv that back then it was hbo that was televising all wimbledon right and it was it was just super exciting and nerve-wracking and (laughs) i love i loved every bit of it so wow wow um thank you for sharing that that's i i recall you know watching uh, watching chris everett martina playing so many times you know with their rivalry and um speaking of that and rivalries um and martina i wanted to ask you um a few days ago, um, it seems, you know, after he, he lost to Rafa Nadal at Roland Garros in the finals, uh, right. no, Novak Djokovic, it seems, uh, and he's faced Rafa, I understand now, 56 times. But he was quoted as saying that he thinks that his rivalry right now or over the past few years and the, the 56 times that they've played is the greatest in the history of tennis. And um in response to that, Chris Everett has tweeted publicly. She she tweeted and said, quote, well, true in men's tennis. And then she went on to say, Martina and I played 80 times. So I want to get your opinion. Uh, looking back from when you started playing until now, who do you think are the greatest head-to-head rivals of open-air tennis play, regardless of gender? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, it's kind of hard not to be biased, Um I mean, and that you mentioned that because the minute I saw that and I saw Everett come out, you know, she, she publicly came out and, and it was all over there. I just shared that all over the place because it's just kind of a typical thing and um, about, you know, men's tennis versus women's tennis. And, you know, and, and uh, he's just discounting the fact that, that, you know, women are on the same level as men in, in that sense. Um, without doubt, Martina and and, and and Chris, in in uh, you know in in my era time at least that I know of was is just a, such a wonderful rivalry because I watched both of them as a kid you know right uh, growing up as a young teenager and and they were obviously a lot younger but because they're about seven or eight years older than me so they're in a whole generation ahead of me and they were you know pounding the pavement back then and we were watching them you know kind of go at each other and I think both of them made each other improve and they I know they became friends off the court and they respected each other because they come from two different walks of the world two different uh, ways of training and everything but um, Martina made Chris better you know Martina Martina uh did things like uh, introduce, you know, fitness into women's play and and being in, in better shape and eating to win and all that sort of stuff. And then Chris just changed her whole game based around Martina. So those two, that those two are by far one of the best rivalries that I've seen. You've seen great matchups, right? And at least you know when when I was younger, like you know, like the Borg McEnroe and you know and and. And Connors was in that mix, but 
nothing, nothing comes close to, I don't think, Martina and Chris. I would agree. <laughs> um, well, let's fast forward or bring bring things up to more recent years uh, with with everything you you have going on. I, I know you retired from competitive play in 1989. You founded the Jane Foreman Tennis Academy, uh, I think 1990, and then 2002 you founded Jane Foreman Sports. That I understand consists not only of the Jane Foreman Tennis Academy but also the sports at your school and the Dade County Sports Foundation. And um, on your organization's website, you state that your mission is to, quote, provide recreational sports programs for all ages, demographics, and levels of ability, uh, end quote. And um, I know this year's 2020 U.S. Open creative theme was about opening up the game of tennis to more players. And uh, right now the USTA is running a tri-tennis program across the United States in communities. And um, I also think, you know, certainly with the pandemic environment we're in, the fact that people can socially distance while playing the game of tennis has helped, you know, bring more beginners, you know, into it. Um, So I want to ask you, can you tell me a, a bit more about how Jane Foreman Sports is opening up the game of tennis? And you know, why do you think tennis is a great sport for individuals of all ages and walks of life? Well, I mean, uh, when I when I started my business years ago, um, you know, we we were we were attracting so many kids and and to the programs, and we would we would tap into the schools, and the moms or you know at that time would bring the kids after school and sometimes we would we would walk if schools were next to where the locations where we were operating you know we would see kids I would see kids like in aftercare that are kind of like stuck in the cafeteria just you know not moving not not doing much so I came up with this idea and it was a little bit of a stretch at the time but it, it once I kind of bit the bullet and did it 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 took off where I wanted to provide sports, not just tennis, but sports for kids at the schools after school. So basically we come to you. These are for the kids who, who uh, are in aftercare or, or we, we thought, you know, primarily for them, but it just ended up taking off where it was for all kids. So I introduced a program where, where we got into the school system as a vendor, my company, and, um, we provide just not only tennis, but soccer and flag football and basketball sports just to get kids moving and and give them the feeling of, of playing with their friends from their classes and, and, and for their school as an elementary age, age child and to get them exercising because, I mean, I just see so many obese children uh, these days. So it was, it was really killing a lot of birds with one stone. Um, okay. Tennis, tennis was in and in tennis with with the portable nets we have these days and things we we were bringing tennis which was which was uh, really a fun way for kids to learn how to play tennis in a recreational way and why i think it's so important is because the old adage tennis is for a lifetime you can play well into your 80s or or whenever you think that you can't play anymore (laughs) but I see so many of our older generations still playing tennis and enjoying the sport. And I truly believe that this keeps them younger. I would agree. And we actually have, there's a woman in Tarboro, North Carolina, who I know is playing right now um, in her 80s. And I want to, I'm going to try to get in touch with her because I think she'd be a great uh 
you know, podcast interview as well. But I totally agree. I, I think it's fantastic. Tennis is a lifetime sport, you know, if and, and keeps you young. And there have been studies um, released saying that it helps people to live longer. So um, that's part of why I play. I feel like it's great exercise. Um, and it's wonderful socially as well, too. I mean, you, 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 have, you make great friends. You have, you know, you can play on a team. You can, you know, whether you want to play uh uh, recreationally, where you want to compete, there's something for everybody. Absolutely. Um, let's see. To continue, um, since you started playing, I know you've witnessed tons of changes in the game, um, not only the way it's played, but I'm sure that you've seen changes like um, in terms of rackets and gear and even changes in tennis fashion. Um, one of the areas <laughs> that interests me the most is, uh, is um, how computer technology is impacting the game. And, of course, the Hawkeye ball tracking system that a lot of folks were talking about recently because of its omission at the 2020 Roland Garros tournament. And then, you know, that system a lot of people are aware of. And then there's there's lots of other technologies that are out there right now. So, um, and, and I wrote a blog, actually, back in 2014 about a, cons- I'm not sure if you're aware of them, but a consumer sports analytics company. They're called PlaySight. And they actually have a camera-based, uh, they have camera-based smart courts. And that those courts capture players on the court real-time performance data, and they enable players to to assess and analyze their, you know, personal performance statistics uh, after a match to improve their game. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think about tech and tennis? And um, are there any new innovations that you're championing right now? Well, the, um, I think, you know, I'm fully aware of the of the of the tech of the play site, which, and I think that is it's awesome. I mean, I I I love the technology in the in the sport, and and I think tennis is keeping up with with all the the industry with other professional sports. I mean, I know they're doing the instant replay and things like that in the other professional sports, and that you know, there's so much money and there's so much riding on these games and sports that obviously it's vital. It may slow down things a little bit, but other than that, I, I just think it's it's vital at this time. Um, the the technology like like PlaySight is is awesome to teach with, you know, and it gives you so much so many tools and so much data that you know old school back in the day is hey you know can somebody chart my match you know <laughs> you know and, they, and right. they you know when we were growing up it's you know the coach or or your mom would sit and watch you play and and you'd come off the court and they would say okay you had three double faults and four <laughs> you know that you know with a with a pencil and paper right now that stuff is being done instantaneously and and it's it's incredible that you can you know have this on the court they have it at the uh, USTA national campus okay where where our Florida section plays all their sectional tournaments. You know, there's, there's a, uh, it's our, it's the national campus. So yes. Lots of tournaments are there, UTR and, and professional tournaments as well. But for the recreational level, this is something, you know, unique and, 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 and really neat to be able to actually watch the matches live stream. So people that aren't at the, at the matches can watch it. And data is given to them afterwards. If, if, they can subscribe to that. Yeah, I just, I really think it's fantastic. Um, along that same vein or um, down down the, that same alley, um, uh, um, what about online tennis instruction platforms? I know that a lot of those have been springing up in the past several years. You know, videos and e-learning uh, seem to 
even more recently with with COVID-19 and and everyone being in quarantine, you know, seem to have taken on more relevancy. What do you think about online tennis instruction? Do you think that uh, online tennis instruction could ever replace face-to-face instruction with a tennis pro? No, I never, I never think that. Um, I think it can enhance it. Right. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm a if people who follow me on, on, uh, I, I'm big on, on, on promoting my, my mission online, and I use social media um, not only to help the everyday player, but it, it actually it enhances my business tremendously. And um, I on Facebook and Instagram, which a lot of the niche of, of, of the groups of people that I work with, um, follow. And I do tremendous amount of videos online. Okay. But I do this, I, I do this free of charge and, um, offering, you know, tips and tactics and strategies. And I, I videotape a lot in my, in my strategy clinics, which I do on a, on a six day a week basis. So I have a lot of footage and, and it gives me a, a, a nice arena to, to spread the word to recreational players and, and all levels of players of, of things that they can work on. So I get to use my experience as a, as a former professional player and I videotape and, and use online instruction to help them, to enhance them with what they're doing. Now, do I think that can replace, um, uh, tennis instruction 100% no I think everybody is different everybody hits the ball differently I think you need to be face to face when you're teaching somebody how to hit the ball um, so that they can get the most out of it with grips with spins with the way to hit the ball so no I don't think it can replace it but I think it can certainly help it help it and enhance yeah I agree yes. um, interestingly my background in corporate marketing years ago uh, whenever, you know, intranets came into play inside the work environments, it, it, right. there was talk about replacing hard copy, you know, communications. And, you know, of course, there's like hard copy books versus ebooks and all of that. And I, I personally think there's always going to be a balance. I think there's always going to be there's always going to be the need for the face to face tennis pro, you know, uh, instruction oh, yeah. in person. So um, but I, I, I love technology. So I'm a technology fan. So I like to see all the different ways. And it's a growing industry. It's a growing business. I mean, a lot of the pros, you see the top court, you see a lot of instruction coming through top court. You see the Gigi method. She's doing a lot of like a lot of the double strategies. And, and, and I'm trying to share a lot of that information as well. Um, you know, they charge for it. They have packages. They have they it started out with DVDs. Now it's everything's online. Subscribe. Right. Pay this, pay that. Um, and I think the, the newest trend in online instruction or, or as a business uh, model is virtual, virtual consultation for, for, in, for pros. Yes. And that is, you know, that, that's where Zoom comes in and that's where all these new things that, that COVID have brought out um, to, to help somebody like myself, for instance, you and your partner could could maybe you say, hey, Jane, I would love to have an hour session with you and we will tell you about our our the good, the bad and the indifferent on the court. And can you give us some help on what you what we would do? So I think that's yep. consultation and, and that can be done virtually. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hope you I hope you do that. And that's something that we may actually want to take you up on that. Um, that idea. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's on the back burner. It's, it's, it's something to, to, to think about. Um. 
So I want to ask you about today. Obviously, you're very busy with overseeing Jane Foreman Sports um, and all your other ventures. Uh, but if you, when you do get the chance to get out there and play yourself, uh, do you have a preference, doubles or singles? Well, I mean, I've been teaching an awful lot, and COVID has, has put me back on the court like maybe eight or nine hours a day of teaching, which I was <laughs> doing like 30 years ago. And it's kind of fun, but it's a little bit of a grind. But, <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm enjoying it. And I'm, I'm actually um, I'm playing. It, and that's another thing that COVID had brought out was because we had some more time like during quarantine. And, and I have the luxury of having a tennis court in my backyard. So I, um, so we started playing tennis a lot more and, and I actually started, uh, jo joining a couple leagues. So I'm back on the court, back at competing. And right now I'm playing doubles. Um, but you know, I try to keep myself as fit as possible. So I, I'm open to playing some singles. So but I'm, I'm definitely enjoying playing again. Okay, that's great to hear. And I'm, I actually play both singles and doubles. I like them both, uh, too. So, But that's that's great to hear you're back out there. Well, to conclude our conversation, I'd like to circle back uh, to the idea of tennis being an inclusive sport that everybody can enjoy. And I wanted to share a personal anecdote with you, Jane, and our listeners. About seven years ago, I was at the USTA level of 3.0, and I was playing a doubles match. And one of our opponents was a taller woman who was really dominating at the net. And I noticed that she had braces on her legs at one point during the match, but I didn't really give it a second thought. And um, the match ended in a tiebreaker, which the other side won. And I will never forget uh, this woman, her pure joy uh, that she showed when they won the final point. And as we walked up to the net to shake their hands, she excitingly revealed that she was going to be playing in an upcoming Special Olympics tennis tournament and asked my partner and me if we might have an interest in volunteering at that tournament. And it was only then that I realized she had Down syndrome. And so she totally blew me away. It was truly one of the most unforgettable, inspiring moments of my life, actually. And if it were not for the game of tennis... I would never have met her and experienced that moment. So my final question for you is, can you share a quick story or anecdote about how someone you've met through tennis has impacted you beyond the game? Right. Well, first of all, I think that's just an, an incredible story, and that, that's something you'll never forget that's in the vault forever. <laughs> and and to have, you know, an experience like that, and then just to, to see the, the pure joy and and to understand the, the, the importance of playing tennis, you know, and what that has done for that person. So, you know, kudos to you and your partner for, for having that. Um, on a personal level, I've played, you know, I've been playing tennis, and tennis has been a part of my life for um, literally 52 years. And, and you know, the, the amount of people and the amount of, of uh, places and and situations that I've come across because of tennis. I mean, to, to think of one person right now is probably impossible. Right. But but the amount of experiences are just insurmountable. I mean, they I I can't explain. I've I've been literally around the world. Mm -hmm. I've stayed in 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 you know so many homes that 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 graciously opened up to me and, and, and people that I've met, I have, um, you know, 
met incredible amount of people that I still stay in touch with. So what has tennis has done for me is given me the same types of feelings that you have, you know, that, that one match that you've played, but I have like a, like a fountain, a fountain of that, that, that you'll, will never leave me. Um, you know, I'm getting in a way to relive it now that in, in what I'm doing, because I'm watching on a daily basis, all these people that I'm teaching and that I'm touching, that I'm helping, that I'm promoting, that I'm giving them, you know, the gift of tennis uh, and, and, and the gift of, of the feeling of winning and feeling and feeling great about themselves. I feel like I'm helping them do that at, at an age where they probably would never thought that they would ever be able to do something like that. Right. I think for me right now, because it's so real and it's so here, that I think that's my number one thing that is inspiring me is to seeing what tennis is doing for all the people that I'm teaching. That's fantastic. You know, you're spreading the joy, you know, of tennis. And that's actually why we started our Love Love Tennis website. And uh, we're building up a network of bloggers and we're having the podcast with great people like you because we want to spread you know the joy of tennis and really for me it's been a joy and I know for you obviously it's been a great joy so thank you Jane for taking this time today it's been a great discussion to catch up with you to hear what you're doing and um I want to ask you your your website Jane Foreman Sports is that www.janeforemansports.com yeah and um and for for the everyday player um if they want to see more about you know, what we're um, doing on a daily basis, um, they can visit teamformantennis.com. Okay, teamformantennis.com. Well, that's great. And I just want to wish you a great remainder of 2020. This has been an interesting year for all of us. And I want to wish you all the best going into 2021. I, I wish the same for you as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jane. And that's a wrap. If you liked listening to this episode, don't miss visiting our website, love-lovetennis.com, to check out more episodes and more content about all things tennis. Because Love Love Tennis is where tennis talk starts.